thing I want to challenge us with is, you know, we don't really have small groups and those kinds of things. We, we're trying to uh, facilitate the kind of community here that, uh, that uh, I remember as a kid. I, don't, I, you know, I grew up in the church, and uh, we didn't have small groups. We never had small groups growing up, but we were a really tight-knit spiritual family at our church. And one of the ways that we cared for one another was just by, by having meals with one another. And I told stories about uh, how Sunday nights after church, you know, we had, we had on Sundays, we had Sunday school in the morning, and then we had Sunday morning church, and then we had choir practice, and then we had Sunday night church. And my mom worked the night shift. She worked the night shift as a nurse's assistant at a nursing home. And oftentimes, many times, she was either working Saturday night or Sunday night, and many times both. And still, you know, she would come home, she'd take a half an hour nap after work, and, and then get up and go go do Sunday school and church and then come home and sleep for a couple hours and go do choir practice and Sunday night church. And then we'd oftentimes either go to someone's house or have someone over to our house for sandwiches and popcorn after church, just a real low-key a low-key fellowship time. And we did it almost every week, not quite, but almost every week, and it was just fun to get together. There was no pressure of entertaining. The, the stakes weren't real high. The standards weren't real high, but it was just fellowship and community which we really enjoyed and have built relationships that have lasted to this day, even though we're across the country. Those relationships are still a part of my life growing up. And I just want to encourage you to do that as we go throughout this year to, uh, to take advantage of the opportunity. We have Sunday morning. It'd be real easy after church to go out to lunch with somebody. Just say, hey, we're going to go to Taco Bell. It doesn't have to be anywhere fancy, but if anyone wants to join us at Taco Bell, after church today, then you can join us there, and everyone's going to be thinking about Taco Bell all morning now. I know not everyone likes Taco Bell, but um, I do. <laughs> so, just leave it at that. Or, you know, uh, the sushi place. If you want to go to sushi, you can go there. I won't be eating with you. I might come and sit with you. I will not eat what you're eating, but I'll watch you eat that stuff. I'll question your judgment as I'm watching you eat raw fish, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, it's not raw, yeah, not all of it. Close enough. Uh, if you want to go to a hummus bar, I don't know if they have hummus bars, whatever, whatever it is that you guys like. Uh, but I think just, just a fun place to go get together after church and just uh, invite someone that you haven't known or invite a few people. Hey, let's just say we're going to go to this place. Let's all get together and go uh, and encourage uh, fellowship and just do it throughout the course of the year with people that you haven't, haven't gotten together with, build relationships. And I think that's how we become more and more like the body of Christ at 6 8 churches as we really get to know one another across all the normal lines, not just not just within our own life stage, but across all life stages, multi-generational community that we're trying to be here at the church. So that's all the announcements we have. Next week we're starting back into the book of Luke, and we'll be in Luke chapter 3, so that will be fun. We'll spend a couple of months in Luke uh, leading up to our next uh, series break after that, but uh, it's really great to be in the book of Luke. So if you want to get started reading chapters 3 and 4 and digesting that, we'll be, we'll be there for the next couple of months uh, uh, developing Luke's themes and how they apply to us as a church. A couple of uh, verses I want to bring to your attention, and this is 
Proverbs 21.5. I've got two versions. One is a translation. One is a paraphrase. I want to read both of them for you to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about this morning. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now that's the, that's the, you know, it's not quite an exact literal translation. This is the NIV. Uh, but uh, a paraphrase kind of helps give the, the more broader interpretation of that, give us a, a more broader application from the message. So it's not an exact translation, but it's a, it gives the idea still. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Love Eugene Peterson and his use of fun to read words in the message. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. I wanted to talk about this as we uh, start off our, our thinking for a new year. So our last day in the old year, our, our last day in 2017, all a whole brand new year lies ahead of us right now. The, this is our, our last chance to kind of look forward to 2018 and say, what can we make the most of in this coming year? And I want to challenge you, something we've been talking about, but I have, I have this thought that what would it look like for us as a church if we all really legitimately put God first in everything in 2018? I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but I just wanted to talk about it one more time and make a few quick points, and then we'll wrap up. But what would it really look like if we started off today, the last day of 2017, and said, for 2018, I'm going to put God first in everything. I'm going to put God first in all areas, all aspects of my life. What would that look like? You know, I know, I know uh, we've, this is my job, and you know, I've kind of been riding the rails on this, and it's something I, I really want to see take place for us. But, but the reason I believe that there's more room for us in this area is because, you know, we just finished up Christmas season. And Christmas, it's amazing. Christmas can bring out, of course, the worst, but it also can bring out the best in a lot of people, and not just in our attitudes and in our emotions, but, but we'll see people do things at Christmas time that we, that we don't really do the rest of the year. For instance, we'll plan for months in advance leading up to Christmas. You know, for some of us who, who have big families, we'll plan gifts, right? We'll, we'll plan, oh, I want to I do this. One of the things I did was I built some of our kids' Christmas presents. And so, you know, I had to plan for a few weeks and think about, you know, the parts and the wood and all of the stuff that I needed to buy to get it and, and how much time I needed to build it so I could hopefully be done before Christmas Eve. And I was closer this year than I ever have been. I still had a few things I had to finish up on Christmas Eve, but, you know, I, I tried to plan it out so that I could be finished with all of the gifts, and uh, what I've realized is that when it's the right thing, when it's the thing that we really care about, when it's something that's really important to us, we can be the most strategic, planned out people ever, right? I mean, when it's something that we're really excited about and something that's really close to our heart, something that, that really gets our wheels turning, we can be the most strategic people on the planet. If it comes to something we really like, if we want to we take a vacation you know, in, in the summer, then we know we've got, to, we've, well, we've got to save up a certain amount of money, and so we've got to start working a certain amount of hours so we can make sure we have the right amount of money, and we can't take vacation time at the beginning of the year if we want to use vacation time 
in the summer, so we start planning now because it's something that's really important to us, and now all of a sudden, when we've got this thing that we're really driven by, we're really excited about, we become the most strategic people on the planet. And here Proverbs is telling us, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run, but hurry and scurry puts you further and further behind. What would it look like if as we, as a church family, starting in 2018, put as much strategic effort, planning, and and intentionality into putting God first in all areas of our lives and and made sure that, that everything else in our life was subservient or secondary on the list? to putting God first? What would it look like if we we put our best efforts, the same effort we put into planning vacations and Christmas and birthdays and all of the things, what if we put that same strategic planning effort into our personal relationship with God in the coming year? What if we we spend some time today and in this week as we start off this new year thinking, what are the things I could do every day that would put me closer to God on a daily basis? What, What are some habits I could create today that would last me throughout the year? What are some habits I could create this week that lasts me throughout the month? What are some habits I can set up for this month that lasts me for the next month so that I am putting God first in every area of my life this year? Mark chapter 4 is a passage we've often been to and we've shared quite a few times, but I've never quite looked at it from this angle. So I wanted to go back and look at this parable of Jesus, and I have three points I'm going to draw from it here at the very end. And then we'll be wrapping up before you know it. Mark chapter 4, verse 3, the second half of verse 3. This is the parable Jesus is saying, sharing with his followers. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and some a hundred times. Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others asked him about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but not perceiving, ever hearing but not, never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said, don't you understand this parable? How then can you understand any parable? Now, think about that. We've talked about this parable many times and how it talks about the, the sharing, the, the, the teaching of the word and the word being planted in the right place and growing up and producing a crop. But have we thought about the word that God has planted in us as believers, right? We, we often tend to think of this as new believers who grow up and, and, and produce the crop. But if we're going to be true believers, not only does the word need to spring to life, but the word needs to produce a harvest. It's not enough for the word to just come to life in us, but the word actually needs to start producing fruit in our lives, which is what God will do in us if we're faithful to him. So as we think about it, maybe widen your, your umbrella of understanding about this passage and think a little bit outside the first-time believer way of thinking about this passage and think about how it applies to you as an already existing believer and what God wants to do through you because God wants to do more than just spring up new life. Verse 14, Jesus is going to un- uh, explain this parable. The farmer sows the word. 
Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy, but since they have no, re- no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. We've talked about this, but I want to illustrate it one more time just because we have our kids in here with us, and I want them to hopefully understand what is being taught in this passage. I don't know if you like to garden, but imagine that you have a garden. At our house, we have the shop, and we have a gravel driveway between the shop, and then there's grass, and then there's the garden where we plant the vegetables, right? So we keep the seeds in the shop usually. That's where they are right now. The seeds are out in the shop, the leftovers from last year, which we'll plant those. And I know you're not supposed to do that because it's not, you know, they're not seeds. You're supposed to get new seeds every year, but they still grow, so we plant them. Um, I think it's just all a marketing scheme to try to get you to buy new seeds every single year. But um, so we, we plant the seeds in the garden, but there's this space. And so, you know, in the olden days, they would have a, a satchel, and this would probably be grain that they would be planting, some kind of grain. They have a leather strap and a satchel here. And so imagine I get my, my satchel full of seeds in the shop. You know, I've got this bin of seeds, and so I, I fill them up. And as I'm walking out, I've got it filled up to the brim, and, and I walk across the driveway. If you've been to our house, you know what I'm talking about. And as, as I walk across the driveway, it's so full that some seeds just kind of fall out on the rocks. And what happens, according to the parable, is that birds come and snatch those up. You know, they're on the ground, and birds, if you've been to our house, you know we have a lot of birds, and the birds would come and just snatch them up off the ground. Of course, some of them are coated in poison, which I know you're not supposed to do, but the birds don't come back a second time if if they're coated in poison. So, uh, so, So the birds come and snatch them up, and so nothing happens with those. But then there's this area between the gravel and the grass where a little bit of grass grows, and it's usually a little bit moist and damp, there. Um, this, the birds usually just spit the seed out. They don't usually die. They just don't like the taste of it, and so it doesn't kill the bird, and then they leave my corn alone. That's all I'm looking for. I know that bothered some of you, so I had to come back to it. But there's this spot along the, along the driveway, and so imagine that a few seeds fall there, and you know, it's, it's kind of just moist enough for something to take root and grow up really quickly, but then because the soil is compacted and dense there, because we drive on it all of the time, it doesn't take root, and when the sun comes out, it withers. That's the second one Jesus was talking about. Now, um, in our garden, our garden is full of weeds, and so uh, it's been like 40, 50 years that that garden's been used, and so it's just constantly full of weeds, and some of it is thistle. And along the edge of the garden, there's this Canadian thistle. Man, it's a pain. And, and you've got this thistle here that, that just runs kind of along the edge of the garden. And for some reason, I decided this year to plant along the edge instead of in a little bit. And I didn't actually do this. This is just for the illustration. But I don't want you to think I'm a bad gardener. But I planted along the edge right next to the thistle. And what happens is the, the corn comes up and the thistle is there. And the thistle has a, a much deeper, more powerful root. goes down into the ground for miles, I think. And, you, and, and then 
chokes out the corn, and then there's the good dirt over there. If you can keep the moles out, you've got good dirt where you can actually plant the corn, and it grows up and produces the crop. So, so imagine that. So this first one that Jesus is talking about, the, 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 the seeds that fall on the driveway where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word so uh, that it takes the word that was sown in them. So the birds come, take it away. It's like it didn't even exist. The second, right along the edge, are, is like the seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, the, the root doesn't go down. They only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. So they've got no root, they've got no depth, which is what we talked about so much this last year about being rooted and established in God's love. And we have to be rooted so that when troubles come, when persecution comes, we are able to withstand the storm. And then this third group, which is where we're going to focus on today, like seeds sown among thorns, the seeds sown among the Canadian thistle. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. It might grow, but it's not going to produce a crop. Those three things are something that I want to point out for us as believers, because here it is clear that the word is planted and grows and comes to life. There is a plant that exists in Jesus' parable. There, there is truth that has taken root and grown up, but because it is planted among the thorns, it gets choked out. As we head into a new year, I think this is a warning sign for us. What are, the, what are the thorns? What is the thistle that's planted around us that we need to pay attention to if we're going to have a life that really puts God first in 2018? What are the things that can really take us off course? The first one is the worries of this life. How many of you spent some time worrying in 2017? I think probably everyone, right? Everyone has worried about something. Maybe you're, maybe you're better than I am, but I worried about some things in 2017, and, and here are these worries. I don't know about you, but when you are worried about something that has a way of consuming you and taking hold of you, and it becomes all that you think about, and it's, once you spend all of your time thinking about this thing, then you haven't spent any time thinking about the most important thing, right? The worries consume us and no longer are we consumed with God? Worries of this life can consume us. And what if, if you look back on 2017, what if you put all of the energy you wasted, literally wasted, myself, I know I wasted a lot of time worrying. What if we put all of the energy we wasted in worrying about things in 2017 into following God in 2018? What if we just transferred that energy away from worrying about stuff that we know God is going to take care of, and we just said, I'm going to trust God with that energy and that resource in my life? What, what would it look like if we just said, you know what, God has this under control. God has a plan for my life. God is leading me where he wants me to go. God is going to provide for me. What if we just trusted God? Because we, you know, we all know the sayings, you know, I'm a good worrier because 95% of what I worry about never happens, you know. The stuff that we spend our time consumed with worry about usually is never a problem. And it's a tool of Satan to distract us. It's a tool of Satan to, to get something planted right next to us and grow up and create something that's going to take us off track. What if, what if we just didn't worry and we put that effort into following God? That's the first thing that crops up. The second thing is the deceitfulness of wealth. 
Did a little bit of research on this word so that we could have a better understanding. Of course, we understand deceitfulness and what it means to be deceitful, but the root of this word comes from the word cheat. Deceitful, it's cheat. So in other words, it's, it's wealth is going to cheat us of something. The deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth is going to cheat us of something that God wants to grow in us. And when we're consumed with wealth and money or gaining wealth and earning money, and that becomes the thing that we think about most of the time, then what we end up being cheated out of is the joy that God wants to be growing up in us. We, we become consumed with something that was never designed to, uh, to hold all of our attention and our affection, which is the definition of worship, right? W- worship is whenever you give all of your attention and affection to something, Most of us give most of our attention and our affection to our money and the things we can get with our money and the life we can have with our money and the deceitfulness of wealth literally cheats us out of the joy God has in mind for us. Philippians 4, 19, Paul shares with the church of Philippi that I know that God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory or his glorious riches. God is going to provide for all of your needs. We read that from Jesus' very mouth. That if God can take care of the sparrows who have no home, then he's going to take care of you. If God can clothe the lilies of the field who who look better than Solomon when he was dressed up as the richest, wealthiest man on earth, then God is going to provide for you. We know this truth from Scripture that God will provide. This is one of his names. The Lord will provide is how he is described throughout all of Scripture. God is going to provide for our needs. We don't need to spend any time worrying about God providing. We can trust that he'll provide. So what if you put, what if we put as a body, all of us together, the collective body at 6A Church, what if we put all of the effort that we spent worrying about money, about pursuing money, about, I'm not, I'm not telling you to quit, don't hear that, don't go quit your job tomorrow or on, on, on Tuesday, a ah, pastor told me to quit, I need to spend more time following God, it's not what I'm saying, the Bible says you should work, so let's not go there. Um, but what if you put all of the effort and, and the consuming worry and thought and possession of wealth and money, all of that, that effort and energy, if you took that off of money and you just put it into following God in 2018? If we, just, if we were faithful with what God has given to us, if we were responsible stewards, if we, if we honored him by being responsible with the money, with the finances that we've given, and, and we're going to spend wisely, we're not going to overspend, we're not going to use credit cards, we're, we're going to set aside money for savings, we're going to tie the first 10% we're going to give to the church, we're just going to follow God's standards that he's laid out for us in Scripture, we're just going to follow those basic principles and we're going to prepare as God has prepared, and we're going to use this gift he has given us, but we're going to use it for his glory, not as something that that consumes us. What if we then took all of that effort that we normally spend and waste on money and pursuing money, and we focused on following God in 2018? What if this just kind of became the baseline, the common understanding, the truth that ruled our lives is God is going to be first in 2018? I'm not going to worry about this life. I'm not going to be caught off guard by the deceitfulness of wealth, God is going to be first. The third thing and the last thing is this desire for things. Look at what he says here. He says, still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things 
come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Two specifics and then one carte blanche going to cover it all with this last one, the desire for other things. It's this, it's this phrase that, that encapsulates basically everything else in our life that this desire for other things other than God's truth, God's word consuming us. There are many desires that can get in our lives and, and get us off track with, with following God. But what's the one desire that you have? What's the one desire that's consuming you right now? Is it, is it God or is there something in your life that's consuming you? Is there the pursuit of something in your life that's consuming you? Maybe, maybe there's a desire for relationship or there's desire for reconciliation. There's desire for whatever it is. What's the one desire in your life that's consuming you? What's the one thing in your life, in your mind, that you spend more time right now thinking about than any other thing? What is the one thing in your heart that you spend more time longing for than any other thing in your life? What is that one thing, that one desire that, that is driving you in everything? And imagine, if you will, that you're sitting down at the table, at a coffee table, like one of these little bistro tables we have here with Jesus and he already knows everything about you. There's no secrets with Jesus, right? He, 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 can, he can understand your thoughts. He, he knows everything that you're thinking. There's nothing, no, no hiding anything. And Jesus knows this one thing. He knows the one thing that you've been longing for more than him. He, he already knows what that is. He already knows what's in our hearts, what's, what's in our minds. And imagine if Jesus were to ask you, why do you spend so much time wishing for this thing when I'm right here? Why, why do you spend so much time longing for this when I'm sitting right here? Why is this desire for this thing consuming you when, when I, the word of life, the, the truth that the whole world, the foundation of the world is built on, why, why are you consumed with this other thing when I, this truth, this promise of God is sitting right here for you to know? The one who holds the stars in his hands, the one, one who created this universe, the one who understands the ins and outs of how everything works, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he knows the plans that he has for you. Why do you spend so much time wishing for that thing when I'm sitting right here at the table wanting to know you? What if we put all of the energy that we put into chasing that one desire into getting to know the Savior across from us at the table. What if we all decided today, us here at 6A Church, that we're going to put our very best effort, our very best energy, our planning, our strategy into putting God first in everything in 2018? What if our lives were characterized and described as those people at 6'8 who put God first in everything? It's, it's, they're weird. They're a bunch of weirdos because they're not consumed with the things. They're not worried about the things that we're all worried about. They, they just kind of seem to have this peace because God seems to be the most important thing to them. And I, I can't explain it, but I want it. What if, what if that became the way that we were characterized as a church, that as we live our lives outside of this place, people saw how passionate we were about putting God first in everything, not in a smack you in the face, I'm a religious person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress you with my Jesus, but just because we live the kind of life that's described in Scripture and we do it humbly. What if that became the way we were known 
as a church, and we put all of our best effort, our energy, our desires, our planning, our strategy into putting God first and everything? What if that became the base question for our entire lives? As we plan how our families are going to look for 2018, the base, the base question is, okay, how are we going to put God first in our family? What's going to flow out of that? I mean, it starts with God. I don't know what it's going to look like after that, but, but I know we've got to start with God. With, with my work, okay, okay, I know I'm going to start with God. I'm going to put God first when it comes to working, and so that's going to be the most important thing. I don't know what the rest of it's going to look like, but I'm going to start there with my neighborhood, with my community, with my family, with everything that's in my life. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't have all of the answers, but I know where I'm going to start. I'm going to start by putting God first. Can you imagine how our lives, how our church would look? Can you imagine how it would affect the extended community, the extended connections of all of us in this church if we knew that we were starting with God first and everything in 2018? I think it would radically alter this community and those we affect on a daily basis. Would you stand? Just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I I myself know that there are things in my life that that can easily take control, things in my life that can easily subvert what you want to do. That there are worries that can creep up, that there's a desire to, to gain and accumulate wealth, that there are just things that I want that can creep in and, and take over first place in my life. Father, I ask your forgiveness as I turn away from that, that I would walk away from those desires and that I would put you first in everything in 2018 and the year ahead. Father, I pray for us that in this moment that you would show us those things. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's several things. But that you would bring it to the forefront of our mind by the power of your Holy Spirit, alive and active and at work in this place, a work in our hearts and the hearts of those who believe. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our mind. The thing that has blinded us, Father, I pray that you would peel that away right now in this moment and let us see you for who you really are and that you would, by the power of your glorious might, put those things in the right perspective. Father, I pray that you would take those things that have become primary in our lives and, and, and put them down below so that we can see the way that you designed this whole world is not to have things in first place that that were created by men, but to have the creator of men in first place. To have this light of life illuminating everything and, and shining your light, the, the light of God, the light of, of the creator of light, down and illuminating all of these areas, all of the things that we worry about, all of the things that, that get us off track, the wealth, the, the work, the family, the community, whatever it is that, that you would, through your power, illuminate all of these things by your light as they're in their proper place down below where you are. 
Father, reveal those things to us. Help us to put them in their proper place and to put you where you belong in first place in our lives. And Father, I pray that this would be the characterization of our church to those outside the faith in this coming year. That people know that we're serious about following God at 6-8 Church and that they see the fruit of it, the evidence of it as God grows this word up in our lives. They see the fruit of the word of God in our lives as a result of putting you first. We know you will produce the fruit. Teach us to be faithful farmers. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.